Well, good evening, everybody. Oh, are y'all going to make me do that thing? We're like, oh, that was terrible. Let's try again. Hi, how are y'all doing? Oh, thank you. That's so much better. We don't have to do the whole song and dance. Let's stand and sing together, shall we? Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder? Who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder? The King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I be set free oh jesus i sing for all that you've done for me who brings our chaos who brings our chaos back into order
Well, hello and good evening, y'all. My name is Matt Natzel, and I work here with the family team. Love to do it. Um, um, if this is your first time here, uh, welcome. We're really glad that you're here. You can let us know that you're here either by texting the number on the screen there or by uh, stopping by the info booth in the foyer. So I have uh, just a couple announcements. One is way out in the future. One is something you need to know in the next hour. And two are uh, something for tomorrow. So for way out in the future, uh, Fellowship is taking a trip to Israel uh, this fall in November. All the info is on the website, but Nick Rowland is actually leading that trip uh, with Cassie. Uh, Garland and Sarah Autry are also on the trip leading. And so uh, if you're interested at all, it's worth looking at. Um, it's just an opportunity to see the stories we've been studying in in the book of John, just uh, in a totally kind of new light, seeing the the ground it took place on, seeing the, the, the ruins of the, the pools and things that these occurred around. So just a pretty cool experience. Um, for an hour from now uh, is the next announcement, and that is when service ends, right out in the east parking lot here, kind of by the, the, the preschool building, uh, there's going to be an ice cream truck, a good humor truck, just giving away ice cream bars and stuff. So go enjoy after service until they're gone. I hope they have enough. I don't know, but uh, go go grab something and enjoy and linger for a while, mingle and just uh, spend some time with each other and, and have a good time. And then for tomorrow, uh, we're acknowledging two Two holidays. Uh, the first is Father's Day, and so I want to just acknowledge all the dads, and I wanted to think about it, and so I committed something to paper here. So I, I want to just acknowledge the dads that are in the thick of it, parenting uh, how their own kids, however they came into the family. And I want to acknowledge the dads or granddads in the thick of truly fathering somebody else's kids. And I want to acknowledge dads that are mourning kids that they don't get to raise, kids that they've lost or kids that they've never had. And I want to acknowledge dads with empty nests. And I want to acknowledge dads that we have lost and we still grieve daily. And so I, we're all in it. I know your experience of Father's Day tomorrow, no idea. It's this mingling of grief and joy that is life on our planet. And so I, I want to just say happy Father's Day in light of all that, okay? And the second is uh, the second holiday, uh, uh, the newest national holiday, Juneteenth, or June 19th. It's the date in 1865 when news of the end of the Civil War finally made it to Galveston, Texas. And with the news of the end of the war, it was the news of the end of chattel slavery, the emancipation of the slaves that still hadn't heard the news. And so um, the, the end of that in the, re, the reunited states of America. And it's another holiday that is just a mingling of joy and grief, joy that we get to celebrate and grief that it even has to be a thing. And so... Uh, there again, I say happy Juneteenth to you as well. Can I pray as we step into uh, the rest of our evening together tonight? God, we are grateful to gather again tonight to hear from your word and be with your people. And we live here today in the time where grief and joy are mingled but we're longing for the day where grief is set aside and we live with you in an age of joy that never ends. Thanks, Lord. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you've just come in, you feel free to come on in and find a seat. 
Um, I wanted to take an opportunity to do something tonight that has a, a deep history in our faith. Um, for as far back as people have been following Jesus, uh, there has been this need to try to put our core convictions into words, to find words to say what it is we truly believe as an act of worship, as an, a de- declaration of our loyalty. And, and the, these words, uh, called the Apostles' Creed, go back at least 1,500 years. Uh, some traditions may even take them all the way back to the first generation of Jesus' followers. But you, you'll often hear in people following Jesus um, this funny back and forth between whether or not our faith is about the things that we believe are true or a lifestyle to be lived. And you'll hear people make some really over-the-top black and white statements about how Christianity is not a, a dogma to believe, it's a life to live. Um, the reality is, it is a both-and where there never should have been an either-or. Because we believe certain things to be true, our lives must be forever changed. And so, in the face of grief and in the face of uh, despair and rebellion and evil in the world, as an act of worship, we declare what we believe to be more true than any of the lies that are in the world. So, um, I'm going to ask us all to stand and join with the saints for hundreds of years in declaring the truth. And I'm going to warn you right now, there's a word in this creed that always trips us up. We say that we believe in one Catholic church, And every time we say this creed, somebody sends an email and says, what does that mean? Are you saying we're Catholic? The word Catholic means universal, all together, under the headship of Jesus. So by declaring that we believe in one Catholic church, we're saying that we believe that everyone who names Jesus as Lord and is born again in that faith is a part of the one true church. That is what we are declaring to be in our faith. So let's declare our belief together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life of everlasting.
Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection. Now we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection. Now we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. For I believe in the name of Jesus. For I believe in the name of Jesus. As we receive the offering today, would you say this prayer with me? O oh, Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiply the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for we all have is yours, Lord. Nothing we can give could match your great gift to us, your Son and your Spirit. Amen.
Hello, Mosaic family. My name is Craig Ford. You may, some of you may know me from serving in the student ministry, which I've been doing for several years. But tonight, I'm here to read our passage. So please, follow along as I read. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And God's people said, this is the word of the Lord. Family, you may take a seat. Good evening. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with anxiety and depression. My name is Colin. It's good to be with you tonight. Um, uh, I, I get to serve with our community team uh, here doing small group ministry, and it is a joy to have that opportunity with some of our, our leaders and small groups in the room. Uh, if you're not plugged in or you're looking for some friends to do life with Jesus within the season, let's talk. And uh, one of my uh, primary roles as well on this team is getting to dive into the scriptures with you as we'll do tonight. John chapter 11 is where we'll be. And uh, we've been in a John series. Uh, if you've been with us for a while, we started, rather than going from chapter one all the way through, we've kind of been doing a dance, as you will, throughout John. And uh, it was actually intentional for our body that we would look at first, John has three sets of sevens, first Jesus's I am statements, which we've been through. And tonight we'll, we'll wrap up with Jesus's signs or miracles that, that point to what he's come in this world to do. And lastly, we'll finish out the next seven weeks after tonight with seven conversations or encounters uh, that Jesus has in his ministry. And our hope in this is not only to grow in our knowledge of the scripture, but more importantly, to get a fresh and new perspective of who Jesus is, what Jesus does, and what conversations he wants to have with us even in the room tonight. And so uh, I have the honor to, to jump in tonight with Lazarus and his raising. And uh, we'll end our time in the miracles with truly an epic display of Jesus's power and presence and death in our world. As he raises his dear friend Lazarus from the dead, just right outside of Jerusalem in a town called Bethany. Uh, but before we get to the good news of Jesus and his redemptive power in our world, I think we need to face the bad. And I want us all to be incredibly sensitive to the bad news that we're feeling in this room. Um, because some of us, the, the bad news and the last enemy, as scripture refers to it as death, um, some of us are feeling that a little more heavier tonight. I loved as Matt led us through that time earlier. Some of us, tomorrow is not as a hopeful day as we would, we would hope. It's not as much of a celebration as much as it is a lament. Whether that is due to the loss of a child, loss of a father, 
relationally or, or because of our last enemy death. Um, and some of us are feeling that. Others of us, um, just as recent as yesterday, are in this room tonight. And this is, this is the sting of death feels very fresh. And so what I don't wanna do is just to be careless about this reality, but what I'd love for you to do is regardless of if you're in the valley of the shadow or you feel like you're in pleasant pasture, would you just take a look around this room for a moment and observe the people around you, whether you know them or not. And would you just ask that in this time, God would do and say what he needs to do and say to those people around you as we dive in. Because there's three realities that you and I have to accept and face as we approach the text tonight. Reality number one is that death is an event that we will all experience. Now we cannot escape it and its effect is there from day to day, whether it's from the loss of a loved one um, to, to mass shootings across our nation to overwhelming nonstop access to the news and the media with just the incessant presence of this enemy called death. The New York Times actually had to release an article for its readers about how to digest the amount of content that they were taking in. That death is so much a part of the human experience that even from the secular world, we're having to, to coach and train people on how to face death. It's a reality we experience in this world and it impacts each of us. Next, uh, death is uncomfortable. Uh, it, it forces us to either run away and pursue comfort somewhere else or to go into the pit and ask really hard questions and feel really hard feels, right? And I am a hard question asker and a deep feeler. So if I cry tonight, apologies before, we'll get through it together. But as God's representatives in this world, we actually weren't designed initially for death. It actually comes later in, in Genesis chapter three, but what we need to understand tonight is that this uncomfortable situation we find ourselves in was not God's original design. It's the effect of evil. And I don't know if you've ever had that moment of being uncomfortable, whether it was at the funer, funeral, or, or maybe you just had this overwhelming sense of grief and anger and weeping, and you just didn't wanna break down in front of everybody because it, it, it might make them uncomfortable. I'll never forget one of my, uh, one of my last memories uh, of my grandmother um, at her funeral. And uh, one of my boys, I won't say which one because I didn't ask his permission, but you can leave it up to guess. One of my boys uh, was coming to grasp the understanding of the resurrection and that one day we have this future hope for a physical bodily resurrection as Jesus had too. One thing we forgot to teach our child was about great grandparents. See, he had known that we were going to a great-grandparent's funeral. He didn't know there would be other great-grandparents there. And so we're standing there. It is, it is weeping. We're at the, the graveside, and it is these fields. And I notice my son is dead-eyed on my other great-grandmother, who's still alive. And he is just confused and deadlocked onto her and not breaking eye contact. And so funeral kind of comes to a close, beautiful ceremony and, and we're grieving and we're weeping and we're hugging. And I go over to him and I say, hey buddy, why are you looking at her so intensely? <laughs> and he leans really close and he goes, did Jesus come back? And I go, what? What do you mean? Like, what are you talking about? And he goes, your great grandmother's there. 
And I realized we had completely forgot to mention like, oh, buddy, no, 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 no. Like, no. Nah. It, it, and it was such a beautiful moment in all of the uncomfortability of the hope and the presence that Jesus has in the face of death. Third reality is grief is not something that we just move forward from or, or that we, we, we abandon, that we move on from. It is something we move forward with in this life. And, and many of us in our grief, even tomorrow, that there'll be moments where, be it because of relational wounds or because of the physical absence, we have to spend some time grieving and, and to feel those feels. I asked one of my good friends and a, a therapist of children and families here in Northwest Arkansas, C.J. Campbell. I said, hey, give me your take on, on grief. What do our people need to hear? One, what is it? And two, how do they walk with others well through it? C.J. said this. She told me grief is any emotion, sadness, anger, numbness, any emotion that we experience in relation to the loss of something or someone meaningful. Loss of opportunities, loss of relationships, loss of the life that God gives. And it is natural and appropriate for humans to grieve, not just once, but throughout our lifetime. Grief is not just a one-time thing. And if you're like me, you know, they have like the organized cycles of grief and it's like, first you deny and then you get mad and then you get sad and then you move on. That's not the human experience, is it? Because you'll be sitting somewhere and out of nowhere, a memory or a thought or, or something will bring back that painful or good moment and you're just overwhelmed. And so it is the reality with death in our world that we're all gonna experience it. That's very uncomfortable. And that it's not, grief is not something, it is an appropriate tool God has given us to face evil and sin in this world. But not just once throughout our lifetime. Which leads to the good news of Jesus. Take a deep breath in. Take a deep breath out. What I'd love for us to do is as we work through this passage in John, I'd love for you to see four things about Jesus and his presence and power and death in our world. Number one, that, that Jesus is a teacher that he is a teacher in our grief who brings truth. Not only that, that Jesus is a companion. He's a friend. He's someone that sits with us in our grief and pain. And he shares his tears. Next, that, that Jesus is the Messiah through our grief. The one anointed by God, the man of sorrows who will take on the suffering and sin of the world to redeem and liberate us through grief. And lastly, that he's the hope beyond it. That the good news of Jesus is that he promises to make all things new. And with that, we turn to John chapter 11, if you'll read with me. John 11, verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? See, first, Jesus, uh, if you read the passage before, you would know throughout the Gospel of John that this is a very near and dear friend to Jesus. Two sisters and one brother, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. 
And uh, Lazarus, their brother, he's passed because of an illness. And if you were to read the passage just before this, you would see that Jesus actually delayed in coming to Lazarus. He found out that, G- that Lazarus was sick and they sent for him, but Jesus has actually delayed going to see his sick friend up until the point that he had died. And once he had died, Jesus tells his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going to wake him up. That Jesus is very clear from the very beginning of even heading to Lazarus's funeral, that he has a very redemptive purpose in mind for this occasion. Secondly, Jesus is entering dangerous territory. Um, up to this point in the gospel of John, if you were following, you would see that the religious leaders are growing more and more frustrated with Jesus. This rabbi claiming to be the son of God and apparently has the powers of some demons because he is healing the sick. He's curing the blind. He's bringing together all these. He's got such a following. And so at this point, uh, Jesus going to Bethany is just two miles from Jerusalem where men are ready to seize him and imprison him and his disciples. And so Jesus is entering dangerous territory um, just outside of Jerusalem, but he and his disciples know that Jesus going here is, is going to mean something very, very significant in his ministry and in his life. As uh, this will be the last sign that Jesus does in his public ministry before they have to head into hiding um, as the, the religious leaders are prepared to kill him. And notice Jesus' posture as a teacher with Martha. She comes to Jesus, she expresses her grief and frustration as we should as well. Lord, where were you if you weren't here? And then she jumps straight to the resolution. The resolve that I know Lazarus will rise again. She's referring here to future resurrection. Even throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets, they would speak of the Messiah coming and bringing about a new bodily resurrection. And so Martha here is looking at the resurrection as an event. Jesus, I know Lazarus is gonna come back one day. She's, she's looking towards a program, an event that God has promised with, with hope. And Jesus gives her not a program or an event. He graciously speaks truth. In her grief, he says and points her not to hope in an event, but to hope in a person saying, I myself, I am the resurrection. I am the one who is the source of life, the Messiah who's come, the one that the entire Old Testament points to as the one who's ushering in the kingdom of God. He says, I am the resurrection and the life, God's chosen one. Martha, do you believe this? And this question in John, every time it's asked, it's for the reader to ponder and answer rhetorically. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live. Friend, do you believe Jesus's words tonight? See, because there's, there's four types of death we see throughout the scriptures. When the term death is used, it's usually used in, in one of these uh, different kinds of categories, but it always comes as a, as a separation. That because of sin in our world, death is always a separation of one of the four. First, relational. That there's separational death that between us and God, as well as us and one another, there is the separation we experience in our lives because of sin. Next is a physical death. It's one we, we know well. It is the, the mortal and the immortal, mortal, the, the body, the, the skin and bones and the spirit being separated in, 
at physical death between the grave. Next is a spiritual death. The scriptures refer to it as the mind of the spirit versus the mind of the flesh. This is our morality, our heart, our motives, our affections. And the scriptures use it in such a way to say that when we are not in right relationship with God, we are actually spiritually dead. That the spirit of the living God does not dwell within us and and our motives are impure and wrong and off. And there's something broken within us that we just can't fix And there's a separation between righteous and unrighteous spiritually. And lastly, the scriptures speak of an eternal death. The second death, a life without God. But there are those in this life who say to God, your will be done. And there are those in this life who God says to them, your will be done. C.S. Lewis said in one of his famous lectures. But Jesus speaks not of a separation, but a restoration. And so when Jesus promises that he is the resurrection and the life, he is offering a restoration, not only relationally, us in God, as well as us in one another through his love and his mercy on the cross. Not only is Jesus offering a, a relationship life, he's also giving us a physical life. Friends, we have spent so much time in the West worrying about what happens, where do I go after I die, that we have lost sight of the hope that Jesus' promise and the good news is not just to get to heaven, it's actually him bringing heaven to earth. That the Christian hope is a physical, future, bodily resurrection with glorified bodies, all things made new. And we have a problem in Christian circles when we become so obsessed with getting out of earth and getting into heaven, we lose sight of the fact that the scriptures are actually more concerned about God bringing heaven into earth. Jesus' offer is for a physical, literal, glorious resurrection at his second coming with himself as the forerunner and source of that life. Third, spiritually, that the the spirit uh, restores us, that God gives us his own spirit for those who follow Jesus. And he gives life as as the living God, the mighty counselor who's there to help. And lastly, eternal life, not only in the future, but John defines eternal life one time in the gospel of John. And it's through Jesus's words where he says, this is eternal life that they may know a relationship an intimate, ongoing friendship with the triune God of love. The resurrection is not just consolation for us in the face of death. It's a restoration that we get all things back, the love, the loved ones, the goods, the beautiful, the good, the true. But Jesus doesn't just bring it back as it was. He promises, I'm making it new. As a teacher in our grief, he points to the truth that only he can sustain and provide this kind of life in this suffering of this world. But Jesus doesn't only provide truth, he provides tears. Look at how he responds to Mary. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. In the shortest passage of scripture and in the scriptures, Jesus wept. 
And Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, and it was a cave with a stone laid across it. Mary models for us a very key spiritual principle that we have to cling to. That the safest and most meaningful place you can be in this life is at the feet of Jesus. All throughout the gospels, you look at Mary's life and she is continually at the feet of her friend and divine master, Jesus. It's a place she's very familiar with. It is a place of safety, of rest, of comfort. From her living room where sweet Martha was busy, anxious, doing lots of things, playing the host, we find Mary sitting with Jesus at his feet. And Jesus says, this is the better portion. That in our grief, Jesus gives us a place to sit and to be. That we're not alone. And Jesus expressed her grief and Jesus joins her. Deeply moved and troubled in spirit, he weeps. Jesus sets an emotion, something that Paul will cling to later, that for the Christians, one of our primary role in this life to a broken world is to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And we don't get to dismiss people's pain or suffering as something else or something that's not my problem. No, Jesus actually steps into it and says, I weep. And he's setting something beautiful. I mean, Jesus is perfect. Not only is he divine, God in the flesh, he also comes in as a faithful friend. And, and I don't know about you, but sometimes in my grief, or people just say really stupid things, don't they? Like really hurtful things. Like I'm weeping and I'm grieving this loss and people are like, eh, it'll get better. <laughs> Will you shut up and go away? Like just leave. Jesus models for us here. This is how we are to, to weep with those who weep in this world, to experience the brokenness of this world. Is, it's okay to cry. It's okay to feel the feels. It's actually healthy. If Jesus himself does it, we should consider. But he doesn't just weep. Something peculiar about Jesus' weeping, uh, the, the English doesn't quite do it justice, that there's actually two different types of mourning happening here. You see first that he was deeply troubled, next that he wept, and then it goes back to deeply troubled. That term there, that he's deeply troubled, I like the NLV better. It captures the idea. It says that Jesus had a deep anger welling up within him. And Jesus was still angry when he arrived at the tomb. This isn't just soppy, sad Jesus. This is furious, the same rage that left him flipping tables in the temple where they had turned it to a den of robbers. Jesus is enraged in his grief. He's angry. The word is used uh, throughout Greek. You could look at the literature and you'll find that this is the same term that's used for horses snorting as they go into battle. <laughs> this isn't just like, a, I'm angry. It's like, a, I am going to explode. I am furious. The word is used with similar meaning in the gospels that Jesus sternly warns some men, the, the people he rebukes and he scolds. As one great Johannian scholar says, this word indicates an outburst of anger and any attempt to interpret it in terms of emotional turmoil is illegitimate. So question, Jesus is at his friend's funeral here. He's hacked off. He weeps with Mary, and he's angry again. Now, our culture could take this one of two ways, 
and we see it happen pretty regularly when people step into grief. One is there's an anger towards the victim. That the person that, who is the victim of wrong or is suffering or experienced this pain, we just get over it. Can you not move on? That was years ago. Is Jesus angry at the victims of this scenario? Does that sound like the heart of a loving triune, like good God? No. The other thing would be to be angry at ourselves. Why do I feel this way? Why am Jesus like in front of his disciples? Like, I can't believe I'm crying. Is Jesus mad at himself here? Jesus is enraged and furious at death and evil in his world. It doesn't just break the heart of God. It infuriates him that such evil would happen to his image bearers, his representation and co-partners in this world. So Jesus does what he promises to do, to wake up Lazarus. And in his sadness and in his rage, he says this in verse 39, take away the stone. But Lord, (laughs) said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time, there's a pretty bad odor. Uh, He's been in there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I have said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. The Redeemer, King and Messiah, God's anointed one, Jesus, who was prophesied to come through the Old Testament, that God's rule and his reign and his resurrection would come into this world stands at this tomb to reveal his glory, the same glory that existed in the temple, as well as on the mountaintop with Moses, all the way to Jesus standing with the father in front of the disciples, his glory now revealed at the tomb at a funeral service. But God brings life and light as God incarnate so that they might believe. Jesus is who he says he is, and Jesus will do what he has promised he will do as the king and savior of the world. And so again, John poses the question tonight for you, friend. Do you believe Jesus's words? In John eleven forty three, 43, and when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off his grave clothes and let him go. Again, Jesus sad and angry. He speaks with this voice and it's the same voice That in the beginning, God created and he said, and he said, and he said, and it was good. And it's that same voice that is Lazarus lying on his 
deathbed hears his dear friend and teacher's call and he responds. And I can't help but imagine the embrace that he and Jesus had in that moment. And friend, Jesus calls you and I with that same voice to new life. Eternal life and knowing him, not just in the future, tonight and tomorrow and for eternity. When one day that same voice that called out and raised all from the dead to a new heaven, a new earth with himself and with us. And I don't know about you, but I cannot wait for his loving embrace. A deacon and a chaplain well acquainted with walking uh, people through pain and suffering. She works at uh, Harvard Hospital. Deborah Wilde says this, that time and time again in the grid of pain, both mental and physical, we need help to rediscover God is with us in a way that doesn't ignore, dismiss, or placate suffering. But it offers a redemptive story, a better story of suffering and hope. And for the follower of Jesus, we have that story, don't we? we? We can't ignore the suffering in our life or the pain and suffering in this world because as followers of Jesus, we see that actually in and through that suffering, God is using it to make something beautiful and new. That we don't try to avoid suffering. No, no, no. If anything, we follow our suffering servant, Jesus himself, into the painful, into the suffering, into the hard places of our lives and this world so that we can join his glorious and redemptive work. To see him, whether it's in the face of a death of a relationship or the death of a loved one, we watch as Jesus does what he promises to do in restoring and renewing all things. And the very next thing we see Lazarus doing out of the grave is a meal with his dear friend and savior. Look in John 12. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany at the home of Lazarus, the man he just raised from the dead. And a dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. You know what Jesus does right after his own resurrection? He gets some food and he sits with his disciples to eat. There's something about resurrected life and meals throughout the New Testament. It just goes hand in hand. It's a celebration. You know how the New Testament ends? Revelation chapter 21. It tells us about a future physical resurrection for followers of Jesus, earthly, bodily, new heaven, new earth. And it's a meal, a feast with Jesus, our dear friend and savior himself at the table. In summary, the, the, the miracle of Lazarus points to a much more significant truth. Again, John doesn't call them miracles in his gospel. He calls them signs because it's meant to point you to something, more importantly, to someone. And it points us to a much more significant resurrection for the one who not only paid on the cross for the sins of the world, but was the forerunner of new life, eternal life, 
physical new body touched the holes in my hands. Resurrection life. And because Jesus has conquered sin and death in our world, for us, our hope is always in renewal and resurrection. That our hope is, is not just that Jesus is going uh, to return. Our hope is not that just when we die, we go to the presence of God. Our hope is something so much greater that Jesus has promised that I'm making all things new. And I, wanna, I want to be with you in new heaven, new earth, here together with God into eternity where there's no more sin and there's no more death. So how do we put this to, to practice? To close, I'd love to just give us three tips, three ways that we can practically walk with God through suffering and pain and grief in our life. First, uh, I watched it happen just yesterday. Is the role of community. It is a God-given people to live and love and pursue Christ together with And as Jesus had companions, or as Mary had a companion in Jesus who came alongside him, and Jesus has those same companions there with him at his tomb. You can't walk the pain and suffering of this life alone. The Christian faith is a communal faith always. And if you're feeling alone, if you're feeling isolated, if you're feeling like I just can't, I can't express this to anybody please don't leave this room without talking to somebody. (laughs) And that doesn't just have to be staff. That can be a tapping on the shoulder of the brother or sister next to you. Next is is a term that there's actually a whole book in the Bible given to called lament, lamentations. Um, It's a God-given tool to pray and worship God in pain and tragedy. God can take our anger. He can take our tears. He can take our sadness. And we, as a community of faith, We've got to put this to practice because there's some brokenness in our world, isn't there? And there's some things that absolutely we come in this room to celebrate. Oh, look at the goodness of God on display. And we also come to share in the frustration God has over brokenness in our world. And we, we lament together. And lastly, we, we grieve with hope. As Paul writes in 1 Thessalonica, let us not be like those who grieve without hope. That hope is a God-given expectation, an assurance, something we look forward to. No matter the death or the pain or the suffering we walk in this life, we have a hope. And so we grieve, we feel the feels, we ask the hard questions, but we do so with hope in the resurrection and renewal of all things because of Jesus. So we're going to spend some time as a community Lamenting some of the the hard things that we're facing in our world and in our lives. As well as grieving with hope of the resurrection in this room tonight. And and I'm going to invite our prayer team actually to come forward in this time. Um, If you are grieving and you have not had a chance to be prayed over or are just looking for someone to share with, to listen to me and to pray over me. Our prayer team will be available up front the entire time we respond tonight through the end. And you are welcome to come and be prayed for. And in this moment, we, we like to call them Selah. They're a break in the words just for a, a little chance to hear what God is saying. And I'd love for you as we take a moment now just to pause and to enter into a time 
of lamenting and rejoicing what God is doing in our world. I invite you, would you sit under Paul's words to a church in Corinth, considering how we grieve with hope in this life. stars they wept the morning sun was dead the savior of the world was fallen his body on the cross his blood poured out for us the weight of every curse upon
Thank you, God, that you are faithful, that you are steady, and that you are true, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we can have hope in the midst of anything. We love you. We praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mosaic, we're so thankful that you are here to celebrate with us this Father's Day weekend. I think Matt Natesel has something to tell us. It looks like, no, he's just showing off his ice cream. So everybody, what I'd like to have you do at this point, if you, if you would like to, to be prayed over, we welcome you to come up. We'd love to pray with you. The way it's going to work from here is everybody's going to sit right where you are for five minutes so I can beat you to the ice cream truck, and then everyone else can follow. Have a great, wonderful weekend.
Be blessed, Mosaic. We'll see you. Let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And all God's people said, thanks be to God.